Welcome to Addicted to Busy, the podcast specifically for overachieving property managers who are dying for a little more work-life balance in their lives. Each week, we dismantle all the BS that holds us back. You'll learn how to nix those tricky self-sabotaging habits so that you have the time, energy, and motivation to create what you really want in life. If you're looking to shift from overcommitted to overjoyed, this is the podcast for you. Let's do this. Now, your host, Anna Havalyana. Hello, and welcome back to Addicted to Busy. I am so excited for the next couple months. I am going to be headed all over the place. In a couple weeks here, I'm going to the NARPM Power Up Conference in North Carolina. I'm also headed back to Texas to speak at another Boma Houston event. There's a chance that I might be doing an event at the Nike headquarters. And later this year, I just found out that I'm headed to Tennessee, which is really, really exciting. And I'm kind of laughing at myself because this was not something that I really saw happening for myself in 2022. Back when I set the goal to create my own coaching program, I did some future vision journaling and some spinning on ideas of what my business could look like and what were the things that I wanted to do. And I remember at the time that I told myself that I would be speaking at in-person events once a quarter. And I remember writing that goal down and thinking that it was absolutely impossible, that it was going to take so much work to get my message in front of people. And now I am literally speaking every month, sometimes twice a month. And it's been really fun to see how this material is catching on and that it's truly resonating with property managers. So when I think of how I got to this point, it honestly was not easy. So in 2020, when I started my business, I had zero speaking events. In 2021, I had one speaking event. In 2022, I had nine speaking events, but they all happened in Q3 and Q4. And now in 2023, I have six on the calendar and we are only one month into the year. So this is literally a dream come true. I had no clue that this was going to be a part of my career and I pinch myself that I get the opportunity to do this for a living. Now, the thing is, on the outside, it does look amazing. It is really fun to travel and network with managers and see new places and meet new faces, but the reality is, is that getting to this point was no fairy tale. No matter what it is that you want to do, you have to be willing to fail. And if you're not willing to fail, you're more than likely to just stay exactly where you are instead of getting to where you want to be. And the only way that I got to getting what I want to do, which is to coach people and speak in front of people, the only way that I got there was by way of doing literally hundreds of things that I did not want to do. <laughs> when it comes to in-person speaking events that first year, I had to put myself out there a lot and I had to be willing to be rejected every single day. I sent out over 500 emails to different property management associations and the first few events that I did, I was absolutely terrified. 
And while they went okay, some of them were still quote unquote a failure. Two times I was contracted to speak for an hour and I spoke so fast that I whipped through all of my material in like 40 minutes. For every association that didn't respond to my initial email, we went back and we found them on either Instagram or LinkedIn and made a second offer for a speech. And again, these are all things that I just didn't want to do, but knew that it would be necessary in order to get the result that I wanted. There were other things that I did, like watch countless speeches and webinars um, to get an idea of what I wanted my message to look like and what I wanted my voice to sound like. So all of this is just to say that by the time that I get on stage to speak at an event to a group for, say, 45 minutes, what you don't see is all of the hours spent behind the scenes doing things that I literally don't want to do. Of all the skills you can learn in your lifetime, make sure that you have the skill of being able to jump straight into tasks that you don't want to do. I will argue any day that our time is our most valuable resource. And what's crazy about time is that it's literally just a mental construct. Think about it. Why do some days feel like they drag on forever, whereas other days feel like they just fly by? I once heard someone say that people are pretty reckless about how they think about time. And I agree. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, I don't have time, or there's not enough time, or I'm too busy. Keep in mind that you generate your feelings and your experience of the world from the thoughts that you choose to think. If you're thinking that you don't have enough time, you're more likely to generate feelings of rushed, scarcity, or panic. You do have time. But when you tell yourself that you don't have enough of it, two things are happening. Number one, you are playing victim to the clock. You are acting as if you are at the will of time and that time is happening to you. Number two, you're arguing against reality. There are only 24 hours in a day and some of you are saying yes to things that in all reality are going to take longer than the 24 hours you're allotted every day. The reality is that a lot of us, even though we feel stressed and burned out and push for time, A lot of us can actually get more done in a day than we currently are. We waste a lot of time by just avoiding getting started. Listen, I'm not here to preach on an altar that I have no business standing on. My goal today is to teach you a simple process to help you get started sooner, but hear me out. I am not perfect at this. I'll give you an example. I love, 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 love to run. I love being outside. I love the feeling when the run is over and I'm flooded with endorphins. I love the atmosphere of race day. And I certainly love a post-race beer. But you know what I really don't love is starting my run. In our house, we call it dilly-dallying. I will get all geared up to go for a run and then I will start wiping the counters in my kitchen or I will take out the trash or I'll switch out the laundry. And my husband will actually call me out on it quite a bit. He'll say, are you dillying or are you dallying? All of this is to say that a run that should take, let's say, 45 minutes 
can now take up to an hour and 15 minutes out of my day because I held off on starting. Does anybody feel me here? And we do this at work all the time. Instead of starting that big, hairy, scary report, we instead will knock out a few payables or review time cards or shoot off a couple emails or double check the turn list just one more time. And to be 100% transparent, I definitely put off starting writing this episode. So welcome to being human. Even though this may just be human nature at play, we can get better at jumping into the tasks that we just don't want to do, hereby referred to as your dilly-dally recovery period. I remember one thing that I used to want more time to do was just time to read. If we go back to the example of me taking off for a run, it's not really fair to say that I quote-unquote don't have time to read. I do have time to read. 30 minutes of time to read, but instead I spent 30 minutes of time dilly-dallying instead of just ripping off the band-aid and getting started. When you shorten up your dilly-dally recovery period, you will have time to do more of what you want to do. When I'm coaching clients in our group program, this is the type of stuff that we're focused on. Listen, you don't need me to help you with your properties or to help you manage your team. You already have that under your control. And when we talk about coaching, think about part of what a coach does. A great coach is going to have you do strength and conditioning, and they'll have you work on drills so that you can become more technically skilled. Just like an athletic coach, we want to do the same thing. Your dilly-dally recovery period is a technical skill that you can train and improve. There are things you can do each day that will either save you time and there are things that you can do each day that will waste your time. The prime example is your phone. You can either set limits on your social media apps so that you save yourself time or you can spend each day on your phone at will. Now, there's no right or wrong choice here. There is certainly no good or bad amount of time to spend on your phone. But if you have goals that you haven't yet achieved, it's definitely worth looking at how you use your device and it's worth getting clear on which actions are creating time for you and which actions are wasting time for you. I can tell you this much. I would do anything to recoup all of the time that I've spent scrolling Instagram outside of 20 minutes a day. And I mean that not in a judgmental way, but rather just kind of matter of fact. I would have rather read more books and looked at Instagram as much as I did last year. When I talk about evaluating where your time is going, a lot of people don't want to. Some of them don't want to because they don't want to feel bad because they know there are places where they don't want to be spending their time. They're afraid of their own self-judgment. Other people won't want to evaluate their time usage or make changes to it because they already feel so burned out that the thought of trying to do more just seems unbearable. This is very similar to people who don't want to look at the number on the scale or who are afraid to open their credit card bills. We know that what we see could potentially spark a thought in our minds that causes us to feel anxiety. But this is the key right here. 
This is how you do the thing you don't want to do. You have to be willing to feel whatever crappy emotion comes up. In the case of not looking at how you spend your time or the number on the scale or the unpaid balance on your card, the absolute worst thing that's going to happen is that you're going to think a thought that causes you to feel a negative emotion. That's it. If you want to build up the skill of jumping headfirst into the task that you don't want to do, you simply need to be willing to feel any emotion, good or bad. That is it. I think back to when I spoke in Houston a few months ago. I was chatting with another property manager and she asked what my speech was going to be about and I told her that I was going to talk about work-life balance and I remember she kind of laughed at me and said, oh, so you're a comedian. And we laughed about it and talked about it, but in hindsight, I should have told her, no, I'm not a comedian, I'm a magician, because <laughs> I'm gonna show you how to create time out of thin air. This is literally what will happen for you. When you stop trying to avoid your emotions by hitting the easy button and taking a tip to scroll town or standing in front of your cupboard snacking when you're not hungry, what you are going to get out of that is more time and energy in your day. For those of you who want to work on this, I really encourage learning how to time block. Time blocking is basically taking your to-do list and mixing it up with your calendar. You essentially take the tasks that you need to get done and give them a date and a time for completion and you put it on your calendar. So that could look like saying on Wednesday at 11 a.m. to 11.45 a.m., I'm going to work on payables. A calendar is a visual representation of time. And I really encourage you to start looking at your calendar, not just as a way to organize your day and to collaborate with others, but also as a tool to help you visualize where your time is being spent. Listen, if I could find a magical way to have your screen time show up visually on your calendar so that you could see when you're on your phone and how much time it's taking, we would all lose our minds. <laughs> Many people will argue that time blocking isn't possible for property managers, and I strongly disagree. Time blocking 100% works but it does require that you manage distractions and that you don't respond to every little thing that comes across your desk or in your email inbox. And for the record, those are also two technical skills that you can learn how to sharpen up in our group coaching program. But there's another reason, a more specific reason, why time blocking can be so helpful. When you set a specific time to complete a task that you don't wanna do, you will know ahead of time what part of your day will feel crappy. Remember, the key to doing the thing that you don't want to do is that you have to be willing to feel whatever crappy emotion comes up. When you put that big scary task on your calendar with a date and a time, at least you know ahead of time which part of your day is going to suck. This goes back to the concept of 50-50, and we talked about this in episode six. So if you haven't heard that one, go check it out. I will also link this in the show notes for you. But the concept of 50-50 was popularized by Brooke Castillo at the Life Coach School. And it's this idea that life will consist of 50% positive experiences and 50% negative experience. 
And when we tap into this, we can actually end up having a better experience of the world because we're not resisting against the 50% negative experiences. Instead, we're just accepting that they're supposed to be there. Now on the flip side, one of my other favorite philosophers is the founder of London School of Life. I'm probably gonna butcher his name, but I think it's Elaine de Button. And he has suggested that we actually anticipate that 80% of our lives will be frustrating and challenging, while only 20% will be fulfilling and happy. But for our intents and purposes, I am going to stick to the 50-50 ratio. If we're stuck believing that we should be happy 100% of the time, we will run into trouble every day. If we think we should always be happy or in a good mood, we start to assume that something is wrong when we're not. Now, when we look at society and at social media, it is so easy to find someone who has more than us or can do something that we can't. It's very easy to find people who appear to be happier than we are. And it can be easy to assume that when we finally have what they have, either a bigger bank account, a spouse, a kid, a house, or a different body or a new degree, that then we will get to be happy. But the truth is, no matter what you have or don't have, it's always a 50-50 experience. Even when you get what you want, you will still have problems. You're just going to have a completely different set of problems. Think about it like a balanced scale. If you accept that 50% of the time you're going to feel negative emotion, then there's nothing to panic about when you find yourself stressed or upset. But if you think you should be happy all of the time, you start to tip the scale the wrong way. Because on top of that negative emotion that we were supposed to have, we start layering on optional suffering. What I mean by optional suffering is things like judgment, criticism, comparison. This is where we start judging ourselves or others, or we start criticizing the situation, or even just denying the reality of it. This is where we get ourselves into trouble. Listen, humans aren't perfect. Society isn't fair. We can't control everything. People will continue to disagree. When we accept that there are parts of life that simply suck, we prevent ourselves from having to add in that optional suffering. When we're no longer spending time and energy in that optional suffering, we give ourselves more willpower to move through those difficult aspects of life so that we can get to the positive ones quicker. So going back to time blocking, if you buy into the idea that more often than not, life is going to be uncomfortable, when you go ahead and put the appointment on your calendar to do the scary task, you know ahead of time when you're going to need to feel uncomfortable. Essentially, you're picking when you're going to feel that 50% negative feeling. I'll often joke with my clients and suggest to them that if they were to schedule themselves, say at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday to do a challenging task, that they might as well set aside an appointment at 1.45 for the feeling of dread to show up as well. And I wish I could say I was joking, but in all honesty, that's often what happens. Now, this isn't an official plug for time blocking. You can prepare for negative emotions in less official ways. For example, when I go to my hometown, 
I already know in advance that I'm likely to feel a little nostalgia and maybe even a little bit of anxiety. When I know ahead of time, and when I actually feel my emotion instead of trying to hit the easy button or buffer over the negative feelings, I can move through that discomfort with ease because I'm not denying that that negative emotion was supposed to be there. Or another example is that when it's time to go to the gym and I really don't wanna go, I can just take a few deep breaths in the car and imagine myself breathing that emotion out and away from my body. And before you know it, I'll be in the gym getting the work done. The way you do the thing you don't wanna do is you feel the emotion you don't wanna feel. Simple as that. Now, it is easier said than done. So if you're looking for more help, you know what's coming next, I wanna invite you to come join our group coaching program. You can apply by signing up for a free coaching session at our website, annahavaliana.com, and then just click Get Free Coaching in the top right-hand corner. That's A-N-N-A-J-A-V as in Viper, E-L-L-A-N-A.com. I love y'all. Keep going. Go feel some feelings. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Addicted to Busy. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review. 